This morning we continue our studies in 1 Corinthians, and it happens to be our church's theme verse, 1 Corinthians 1.18 below. So if you have a Bible, would you turn with me and follow along? So far in chapter 1, we realized how similar Corinthian church is to compare to the Californian. So we almost called it a studies in first Californians for us. The first problem that Apostle Paul revealed was divisions in the church. And I did hint a little bit last week that this division fraction problems were actually the symptoms of a root problem. And Apostle Paul began with his desire to see the unifying body have a same mind and same judgment. But starting verse 18, he goes on to the root cause that made them to have this divisive spirit, why that is. And so it is really exciting. So let's go to that root cause first. And I pick up the verse previously we've ended. And Paul is saying, I am to preach the gospel not with the words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. More literal expression would be, not with wisdom of words. As you know, Paul was a highly educated person. He knew all the Greek philosophy. And living in a Greco-Roman world, he could have done so many things these Corinthian church people wanted. But he chose not to. Not only the Greek philosophy, which is a worldly human wisdom, but also... Methodology, the eloquent speech. Although he knew how to do it. Why? Because the cross of Christ might be emptied of its power. So we get to hear about the power of God today. The paradoxical truth and wisdom. But let's start with this. Number one, Corinthians in general lived in a Greco-Roman world that loved all types of philosophy, human wisdom and rhetoric. Philosophy, I think I mentioned it in the introduction, a combination of two words, of two Greek words, phileo, which means love, and sophia, which means wisdom. Love of wisdom. And then Greek philosophers are known as a debaters, industry orators. So the more fancy, eloquent speech you have, great dynamic speaker you are, the more people followed. Number two, consequently, they're always constantly enthralled enamored by powerful teachers and popular rhetoric, as if we follow celebrities. 
right? And it shows a, a much of a man-centered culture. And this is what becomes so close, uncomfortably close to our culture. They have brought this worldly wisdom and culture into the, cult, into the church even after their conversion. It's not the outside of church that matters so much. Because they're unbelieving world and they have a new, I mean, they have a different worldview. But this worldly paradigm and values sneaked in to the church. And there are two aspects about it. It is a human wisdom. The other one is a lifestyle. So California is just like that. Following the trendy pop psychology and philosophy, the whatever the self-help knowledge that needs it, and the lose life. Sexual immorality was happening. So consequently, they considered the Bible, they considered the gospel that Paul brought as Sophia, one of the Sophias, and wisdom, and the apostles as sophists, or the orators, the teachers and speakers. So hence, the divisive spirit came out of this. If this preacher and this apostle is so awesome in his deliverance, for example, Paulus was an eloquent speaker, dynamic speaker, and he unpacks the Old Testament like no one could, I'm of Apollos. I follow Apollos. And the other one would say, well, the traditional power, the one who is closest to Jesus and the chief leader of the twelve was Peter. And let's go with the, the original traditional name, Aramaic name, Cephas. I follow Cephas. And the people who followed Paul will say, well, didn't Paul plant a church? He was the apostle who came to us. And the eloquent, I mean the spiritual elitist, this is actually sounding very correct, but probably the worst motivation. We follow Christ as if they monopoly, monopolize the Christ following only. It is hero worship, celebrity worship. In American churches, we have so many of these tendencies in, interwoven into our, our lives. Some of them, non-Christian friends, find out, I mean acquaintance, find out I'm a pastor. And his background of respecting the pastors, I guess in his circle that everyone is doctors. Oh, nice to meeting you, Dr. Kim. Oh, I'm not a doctor. I don't have a PhD degree. Actually, you know, don't call me that. It's very uncomfortable. Just call me Paul. But having said that, I know from experience, those background and those degrees 
are one of the high credentials for the search committee of the large churches, mega churches, to a point that some of the well-known pastors have, when um, in a kind of illegal way of getting the degree, plagiarizing or getting shortcut of having some kind of degree because he's now the leader of the humongous church. That's the Western Christianity now. We Californians are not better, so we better pay attention to this um, exposition that Paul brings. The question that we're asking is this. If this is a root problem, how do we know the word of cross reveals the power and wisdom of God? Uh, the reason why I'm using, sticking to the word of cross, the uh, ESV would translate that, and the more co common uh, expression would be the message of cross. The reason why I'm sticking to that is to compare the word of eloquent, word, eloquent wisdom to the word of cross. So basically it means the message and the way of the cross. So we need to know why that brings the power and wisdom of the word. There are three parts. Today, 18 verse, chapter 1, verse 18 through 25, he gives the message of the cross first. And verse 29 to the rest of the first chap chapter 1, he actually applies to the Corinthian Christians, the church. Consider your calling, calling of God. And then he exposes uh, the reality therein. And chapter 3 and verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 16, he applies to the leaders because the division was about following different leaders. Right? So let's go to the number one first reason of why the word of the cross is the power and wisdom of God. Verse 18, this is the theme verse of Crossway Church. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The first reason is the power, the word of the cross is God's nonsense that reveals the power of God that saves those who believe in Christ. Why is it foolishness? To our mindset, the cross means it's merely a symbol or nice jewelry, a necklace, or the symbol on the top of the church building. But in the first century Greco-Roman world, cross was unthinkable, cruel. Something that they don't want to even bring it up in the conversation of dinner. It would be almost like for us to have a dinner guest and start talking about the effects of electric chair and for that sentence people. 
And then for the Gentiles and for especially Greeks who are looking for the eloquent wisdom, the Messiah came and he's supposed to be the Savior of the world, the mighty Lord, almighty God. Actually, he died on this cursed death on the cross. Most of you know that crucifixion, the word crucifixion that we got is actually excruciating pain. Things like that came out of that crucifixion. The Roman citizens were exempt, no matter what kind of crime might have been. Even the Gentiles in the Greco-Roman world, unless this is a notorious crime that everyone in unison say he must be crucified, most of the criminals were not on the cross. If you are on the cross, this was the most, the worst kind of criminal that everybody will just recognize that he must die. The question that we have is, why did he choose, why did God choose this foolishness? This folly. Because the word folly here, um, the original Greek text is moria, which is from which we got the word morons, moronic. The word, the message of the cross is moronic, silly. Do you believe that? I mean, do you, do you know it is true? By the grace of God, we somehow open the eyes of our heart to see the God's love and God's grace sacrifice in there. Somehow, it made sense to us. It became power of God. It became wisdom of God. Put not to, to typical non-Christians, it is nonsense. Sometimes, it is more offensive than attractive. And bloody religion, they will say. But Paul is saying, don't turn away from this. Because this folly reveals the power of God. Lest we think this is something that we graduate. Oh, when I became a Christian so many years ago, I received the word of cross. I understood that I received. Thank God. And those new believers need that. No? Do you, do you see that? To us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Today, we need the word of cross. We need the gospel. Today, how God humbles the prideful, the wise of the world. And our way, pathway to receive God's word and God's wisdom and God's grace is to humble ourselves. Only the sick, only the poor can receive God's grace, God's healing, God's reconciliation, God's redemption. It's been about a few years as a church plant. 
And we are so grateful for God's provision for this building. So maybe in next year or so, you know, in coming year, I'm praying, I'm beginning to pray that we'd have a cross right there. To proclaim that we are not ashamed of the cross that might be offensive. Do you know there is a spiritual truth in like the cults like Mormon Church? Have you driven to San Diego? There's a big Mormon tabernacle, and there's a steeple, but no cross. For some reason, when I see that temple without cross, it feels so demonic, even impersonalized. They appear to be Christians, but they're afraid of this cross. I'll be honest with you, in postmodern world, the cross, the message of the cross, which will bring up the sins of the world and our depraved, sinful heart, it is not popular. It sounds off, politically incorrect, in other words. Do you go to cross every day because... The cleansing is there. The purification of your heart is there. Renewal is there. Forgiveness is there. God's love, never-ending love, as we sang this morning. His love never ends at the foot of the cross. Do you also notice that our cultural influence of the worldly wisdom is we're looking for something savvy and something clicking in our hearts when we go to worship. The mundaneness of God's word actually has the power and wisdom. The humble will receive it. I'm going to take just a moment to clarify some potential misunderstanding here. God is not opposed to knowledge or truth at all. All truth, yes, is God's truth. There is no such a truth that came out of and God wasn't aware of. And some people, especially the, the old days of fundamental schools, misunderstood this as a very, came out as a very anti-intellectual thing. We don't want to learn things. We don't want to really find out. We don't want to read books. Just give me the cross. That doesn't mean this. Because God's truth is all truth. What's the problem here then? Wisdom is how to use that truth, how to use of those knowledges. And then human wisdom, when you are in the center of the universe, you misuse, you abuse, and God is absent in that, and God is against that. In our secularized world, 
in America. Still, what is really revered and enthralled was this human wisdom. Not necessarily the truth, whether it's a, let's say, physics or, or even psychology or you name anything. But who decides, interprets those data and applies them? And it is absolutely humanism. Secular humanism. God is in the center. God is absent. And man is the center, decides and judges how these wisdom and uh, these truth and knowledge will be used. All of you guys remember the first year of college and I I was an undergraduate uh, psychology major and these doctors, a PhD, were like gods to us. The way they talk about the whole world and the mindset of the, the mankind was incredible. And if you ask the wrong question, you will get it. I, I've seen one of the professors, he's a very sharp publishing, he publishes a lot, which means he has a power. And he, so one of the person who, one of the students falling asleep, and then he pointed him out and said, asked him a question he gave you. He didn't even know what, what he was talking about, so he gave a nonsensical answer. He goes up to him. Back then, it took only a quarter to, to you know, call payphone, right? He gives him a quarter. Son, call your mom and tell her you're not going to make it. They walked away. So everyone's trembled. I hope we are very clear on this. I'm not speaking against to all those universities around us, all those people who are writing books. I'm speaking against against the idea that church is revering human wisdom higher than God's wisdom. Case in point, even church, uh, how do the church and you know gathering of places and conferences, there's so many human wisdom at the top of the leadership and the spiritual wisdom is almost like the people who can't really do the big L leadership. This is wrong. This affects how we parent our kids. This affects how we think of their future future, and what is expected of them and what it means to parent in a godly way, though as Bible talks about. So let's be mindful about not to be ashamed of the cross. Number two, the word of the cross is God's way of destroying the pride of worldly wisdom and humbling the wise. Verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? 
Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Paul is actually quoting here Isaiah 29 verse 14. Point that he's making is this foolishness of God, the fallenness of the word of cross is not anything new. God's way, way has been always like that. And we could think about it in Isaiah's uh, time, we could think about his king Hezekiah. Do you remember a Syrian mighty Assyrian woman, the army, and Sennacherib? was conquering the whole world. They swallowed up all the nations around. And they came at the foot of Jerusalem, surrounding the walls of Jerusalem. And he boasted. And he, even in the Bible, he would talk about the, the making fun of Israel's God, Yahweh. Isaiah 37 says, One morning the angel of death struck 185,000 men of Assyrian woman, of army. To prove, to destroy the pride of worldly wisdom. Or how about Gideon, who was told to reduce the number of his army to only to 300 people. And after 300 people, their weapon was what? Horn, and they're supposed to carry this clay jar thing and break it? What kind of, what kind of warfare is that? Army strategy would be that. And we're all familiar with the Israelites conquering the, the wall of Jericho, seven times just going around, walking around. At the end of seven time, they will scream. Somehow I get this image of vegetable. <laughs> some, of you, some of you guys get it, right? David and Goliath is another example of destroying the pride of human wisdom. It just didn't make sense. And God's way of doing this, the question is why? To destroy the pride, to humble the wise. And as I mentioned before, the only humble, the only humble, the, the, the poor, the sick, can receive God's full grace. So let's go back to that, the foot of the cross again. The fact that we need the word of cross every day. Jesus said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for there is kingdom of God. God's rule, God's shalom, 
God's peace, God's restoration. Do you see it? Would you open your eyes of your heart to see that? For those of you who are dry spiritually, for those who drifted away from God, for those who became cynical, for those whose heart is not working, when you're reading the scripture and singing the songs of hymns and gospel songs, the cure is not something that you, it's out there and you need to find the right church, the right gathering, the right things. The cure is at the cross. You humble yourself. You lay down everything before God and proclaim, I cannot do anything apart from you. It is impossible for me to reach you. Have mercy on me, O God. Some of you, I know that you mentally, conceptually believe this. Would you do it today? If that is really true, you don't really have to measure up to God and you have to work on it. And maybe in a few weeks I will feel better about this guilt, about this apathy, spiritual apathy. No, today, when you humble yourself, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, that you receive the word of cross. So in terms of our church, we ought to be vigilant against the elusive lures of eloquent human wisdom and rhetoric. Um, I hope you guys know this. The reason why we raise this issue and choosing the way of the cross is our way is not to become cynical to the church around us and become judgmental to around us. It's to be vigilant. We're not any better. Many of you heard that story. Coming out of that kind of contemporary, very um, consumer-oriented church, which is invested by the the human wisdom and culture and values, you know what I felt like? I didn't sign up for these. And no one's really, one person is responsible for this. Then what is it? I call it a frog in the kettle being slowly heated up. You know, when you put frog in the hot water, he'll jump out. But because of the nature of frog, if you put, put frog in the cold water and slowly heat it up, the frog will get comfortable. To a point, he will get, he will die. The elusive things that were coming into our church also too. The postmodern way of thinking, of the center of our spirituality is the self. How can I be better at this? How can, I, how can I have more fulfilled life? How can I have a peace and no anxieties every day? How can I have a best marriage? Whatever that might be. Or in the way that how can we be the best church? Most efficient 
effective church. We ought to be very careful about that. So there are things that we're doing it, partially because of, um, I'm not smarter than what we're doing, but there's a rugged things that we're doing, not necessarily we're committed to that forever, but it is a way that we become truthful and congruent to the guidance of the scripture. Third and last reason is the word of the cross is offensive to the men-centered world, but wise to those who are called by sovereign grace. Paul expounds on this and bringing up a specific example now. Verse 22, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. We could take a look at this passage as a... um, Two different types of people in the whole world. Power seekers, because power is very, very appealing, alluring. And the wisdom seeker. The Jews represent power seeker. For Jews, the Messiah, coming Messiah will conquer the world. They will restore the nation of Israel. So, And then even the Deuteronomy, God specifically mentioned that those who died on the cross, died on the tree, is cursed. The Messiah came, died on the cross, and he cannot do anything about this. And he's screaming, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, why God have you forsaken me? The miserable death, miserable ending. There's no way, don't insult me, that he could be the Messiah. That this could be the message of salvation. This is Apostle Paul, before conversion. As Saul believed, that's why he was infuriated. He persecuted all the church, thinking that this is the correcting what it ought to be. In, in, in light of God. And today's power secret is the same thing, too. Even in the Christian world, why do you need the Holy Spirit? Fullness of the Holy Spirit. Is it really to witness? Is it really to live a holy life? Or is it to feel superior, spiritually elite? So I love those charismatic brothers and sisters. And in some, some sense, you know, uh, our church is not a ne- cessationist or continue. In other words, we be- believe that continuing of the working of the Holy Spirit in a miraculous signs. 
Miracle is a spiritual gift. The problem is the man-centered way of doing spirituality there. Oh, the big churches and, you know, fastest growth church and all those events that we are trying to do, some of the ridiculous things that megachurch might do is in the name of this becoming more powerful. In the city of Santa Ana, how can we become more influential? We need to grow. We need to number-wise. We need to, in terms of, uh, uh, many of our people should go to the city. That's the mentality. The message of the cross, the word of cross, is subversive. God's kingdom never comes that way. To the Gentiles, so wisdom seekers, the cross is folly. The wisdom seekers always look for savvy, eloquent deliveries, right? So in some sense, I think postmodern culture, especially hipster Christian movement among the postmodern young people, even in 30s and 40s, also not only 20s, uh, into this I think in a way that the combination of the best person to pastor their ideal church would be combination of Jay Leno, Yoda, and Oprah Winfrey. When you hear old grandma teaching Jesus loves you because Bible says so and he had died on the cross for every single sin my sons my children just imagine that that grandma is teaching our Sunday school that is the power of God Our youth ministry is boring. Because there is no, I mean, there is no games, electronic games on the wall. And there is no time that, wow, every kind of crazy games going on. We don't have even manpower. We teach the word. This summer, I'm going to have a, you know, Wednesday, 12, 10, a 10 to 12 thing, again, for the older kids, the, the pre-adolescent and adolescent. You know what we're going to do? And we're not against having fun. <laughs> Believe me, I go, I, in the name of youth ministry, I've done a lot of crazy, fun things. But we're going to dig into the Bible together. And I'm praying that guys, that your children and mine will open their eyes to scripture, God's wisdom, and they begin to have this ability to discern and judge on their own without mom and, and dads around and their spirituality. So finally, to those who are called, 
Those who believe the cross reveals God's power and wisdom because it is devoid of pride, merit, and self-reliance. This calling is two parts. One is external and one is the other one is internal. External is somebody's preaching and somebody's sharing. Uh, you're reading the scripture yourself and through the, through the radio and TV. The message is proclaimed and you hear that. But the internal, the real God's calling here is God's sovereign grace, irresistible grace coming to you. And this is much more than just giving an invitation and, and you're supposed to say yay or nay in terms of RSVP. God opens, enlightens your heart. So aren't you great, grateful this morning? I am, surely am. If God didn't open my eyes, I could be one of those cynics who could be following the worldly wisdom and point to Christianity as folly, moronic. People of God, our main role as the church of Christ is to follow Christ and retain saltiness, the radical difference that Christ had in this decaying world. Let's be watchful of our pride lest we become, you know, fooled by the the lies of the evil one again, too. But let's be watchful about the culture. Be, be clear about how to understand the culture through God's authoritative word. So in that regard, I conclude with this quote from David F. Wells. He's a theologian who writes about the culture a lot, and one of the the, the latest book is Above All Else, Above All Powers, the, uh, Christ in the Postmodern World. And this actually came from uh, the, the other book. Um, I can't think of it right now, but if you email me, let, I'll let you know. He writes, The disappearance of theology from the life of the church and the orchestration of that appearance, disappearance, by some of its leaders is hard to miss today, but oddly enough, not easy to prove. It is hard to miss the, in the evangelical world, in the vacuous worship that is so prevalent, for example, in the shift of from God to the self as the central focus of faith, in the psychologized preaching that follows this shift, in the erosion of its conviction, in its strident pragmatism, in its inability to think incisively about the culture, in its reveling in the irrational. It is true, especially when we are encountered with so many the rampant self-help books 
and knowledge. And, and in our church, churches, we continually become biblically illiterate because people don't really read the scripture. It is true that it is like a swimming up against the current as we emphasize going back to the scripture and scripture guidance. But let's be joyful because we will see the fruit of God's wisdom in our daily living. You will experience saving power of God. You will experience God's shalom. And that's the vision that we are all embracing together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this reminder of your power and wisdom that comes from unrecognized places in the form of foolishness of man's wisdom. We pray that you will revive our church and you will keep us vigilant against the human wisdom that is so revered and enthralled in our culture. We pray that the word of the cross is our good news every day. Pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.